How you doing? Pray with me. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you that the victory is found in you. And thank you that we can live life in you and therefore live life in victory. I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that as the scriptures are read, as I do my best to get out of the way to proclaim your good news, God, may we all hear with hearts that are open to receive, with hearts that want to change and grow more like you. May we leave here changed. And we pray this all in the beautiful name that saves us, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever felt stuck? This is audience participation. You can, you, you can just nod. You don't have to. Don't just stare. That's, that's the worst thing you can do. Have you ever just felt stuck? Maybe it's, I'm never going to get that promotion. Maybe it's, He's never going to change. Maybe it's layoffs are impending. Am I going to be the next one? Maybe it's my house is never the way I want it. It's never clean enough. Have you ever been in a place where you just feel stuck? Thank you. Who was that? Gold Star. Thank you. You two sings a song and, and the words say, You've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment, and you can't get out of it. I feel like a lot of times that's where I live. It's just I feel stuck so many times. Now, I've spoken enough for you to know that I am a man of very few passions, and one of them is... Disney. You knew it was going to be Duke or Disney, but we're not talking about Duke right now. I was going to wear all black since I'm still in mourning, but uh, I love Disney World. I absolutely love it. My family right now has absolutely no plans on the horizon to make it back to Disney World. And that is a very depressing thing for me. It weighs on me. It makes every day feel mundane, boring, like I'm stuck doing the same thing over and over and over again. But as soon as we book our vacation, as soon as we say, ask off this week, this is when we're going, all of a sudden, something in my mind changes. Because things are different, because now... I've got something that I'm looking forward to. And for some reason, where life once felt mundane, boring, routine, all of a sudden, there's a joy and an anticipation and an expectancy because I know that something is on the horizon that I'm going to look forward to. There is joy found even in the waiting moments. It may not be happening today, but I know it's going to be happening someday, and that helps me get through today. It helps me get through these 
transitional days until I actually get there. There's a word I love, and it's the word liminal. Everybody say liminal. Good job. Liminal is a great word. It's an adjective. Of or relating to a transitional or initial stage in a process, occupying a position at or on both sides of a boundary or a threshold. My life feels mundane until I have this vacation planned. And then all of a sudden, I find myself in this liminal state between where I am and where I'm going to be, and it changes this liminal period in my life. And we all have liminal periods. I mean, many of them are filled with joy. Let me give you an example. You're single. You find that special someone. You start dating. And eventually, somebody gets down on one knee and asks a a certain question, and the other person says yes, and all of a sudden you begin this liminal period of engagement. You know something is going to happen. A marriage is down the road. It's not here yet. You're in this liminal stage. You with me? Or how about this one? You walk across the stage. You get your high school diploma. You move your uh, uh, tassel over. And for many of us, the next step is college. So you go to this school for four years where they tell you they're going to teach you everything you need to know. And then eventually you walk across a very similar stage and you do a very similar thing. You move another tassel. But there's this liminal period called college. You know that there's a graduation coming. It's not here yet. You're in this college liminal stage. And a lot of liminal things are really exciting, um, but we all have them. You're actually in one right now. Think about it. This morning at some time, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 9.30, you woke up. You decided, I'm going to go to church. <laughs> We're not going to ask when you did it, Michelle, because you've had a hectic week. At some point, you woke up, you got in your car, and you were driving to church. Service began. Service will end. And somewhere in this liminal time, we pray that you worship, that you learn something, that you grow closer to God. And when the liminal time is over, I pray that we leave changed. You with me? Now, not all liminal things, not all liminal waiting periods are positive. Some of them can be painful. Some of them can bring anxiety. Some of them can bring frustration, confusion. Um, I mentioned one earlier. Um, I had lunch with a guy on Wednesday. And I said, how's the job going? And he said, who knows? They're talking cutbacks. You think you're going to be affected? I don't know. Last one in, first one out. I was the last one I was the last one hired. I don't know. He's in this liminal stage of not knowing what's going to happen. He knows something is imminent, but he doesn't know how it's going to affect him. Or maybe um, you get the phone call. Hey, grandma, grandpa, someone's not doing well. If you want to say goodbye to him, you need to get here fast. 
and you know that there's a very small liminal window between what is and what will be. Liminal, liminal time. Let me give you an example of one that happened to us. The year was 2009, Emma was three, Henley was three months old. We were the happy little family, and everything was going well. It was June, it was our anniversary, and we found a babysitter. Thanks be to God. And we went out for an adult date with real food that didn't involve macaroni and cheese, real conversation that didn't involve, can I play on your iPhone? It was wonderful. So we're sitting there, and Jen's just sitting there with her, you know, resting her head, probably exhausted from having a three-year-old and a three-month-old. She says, oh, great. I'm coming down with something. I can tell. My glands are getting swollen. I'm going to... I'm getting sick. And I said, well, you need to take care of it right away because we got to try to cut it off before it gets bad. So life goes on. She sets up a doctor's appointment with Doc Murdoch at Treveca. I'm in a grad class, and I get a text that says, come to the clinic. That's all it said. Could be anything. But in my heart, it just felt like something's not right. So I go down to the clinic, and... Dr. Mordock said, I don't know why, but I just feel like this is something you need to have looked at by a professional. This is, this is serious. I don't know why. I feel like it's cancer. And the liminal moment began. What? We were stunned. It took two weeks to get into a specialist. Can you imagine every minute wondering, is it something? Is it nothing? Will they find anything? What does this mean? We have a three-year-old, a three-month-old. How is this going to change us forever? We get into the specialist. He's, he's one of the top ten in the nation. This, is, this guy knows his stuff. He looks at her, checks her out, and he says almost in a perturbed way, I can't believe somebody sent you here. This is ridiculous. I'm sure it's nothing. We're going to run some tests, but you shouldn't have been alarmed. He goes away. They do the little test, whatever. Comes back 10 minutes later, and he says, I, I promise. He says it just like this. Well, the lab says cancer. And, you know, I'm thinking of the movie scenes where you come in, you sit in the leather chair, and the doctor's sitting there, and he's like, I have some terrible news to tell you. I'm so sorry to have to be the one to break this. No, 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 no. He walks in, sits down, well, Lab says cancer. It's almost like he was saying, well, the wife says we're having fish for dinner. I mean, it was that almost flippant. I was like, we're sitting here, you're telling me I have cancer and this is how you're delivering the news? But immediately, a new phase of this liminal moment started all over again. Because now things were different. But I'm glad that he told us the way he did because he followed it up by, here's the good news, 98% cure rate. You're going to be fine. And even though we knew she still had the cancer in her, even though we knew it would be a couple weeks before it was gone, in this liminal moment, we felt peace. Because we knew 
This is temporary. There's an ending. We're at this part of the threshold, but there is hope because it will be gone soon. Let me read the word of the Lord out of John 16. In a little while, you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you'll see me again. Some of the disciples ask each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I'm going back to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourself what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor, and when her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she's brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. And at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant you your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask, using my name, and you will receive, and you'll have abundant joy. I've spoken these things, I've spoken of these matters in figurative speech. But soon I will stop speaking figuratively and I will tell you plainly about the Father. And then you'll ask in my name. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world and now I leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, Oh, at last you're speaking plainly and not figuratively. Can you almost hear it? They're like, oh. Now we understand that you know everything. There's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered, and I love a lot of commentaries say that this next thing is like, really? Do you, you really get it? Can you grasp what I'm really saying? It's almost, not sarcastic, but it's almost like, come on, guys. This is a lot bigger than you're even thinking. Do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you'll be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet, I'm not alone because the Father's with me. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you may have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. I love that liminal phrase that Jesus uses, in a little while, in a little while. He says it seven times in four verses. He's not saying this may happen someday. He's saying, no, no, no. It's now. It's in a little while. This is happening really fast. 
You've been with me for three years. I've been saying something's coming. It's here. In a little while is now. It's imminent. And he tells them, you're going to find yourself weeping. Now, John only uses the word weeping in the entire book. He only uses it when he's referring to death, to someone dying. He uses the word weeping. And he says, you're going to weep for a while, but then that weeping will turn to joy. One person wrote it this way, not realizing that this would be the single greatest event ever to occur on planet Earth, and the center of God's plan of salvation, they would weep and mourn as at a funeral. At the same time, the world, not understanding the import of God's great victory on the cross, would rejoice at their having disposed of this troublemaker, seemingly once and for all. However, after the second little while, Jesus would, would appear to them in glory, and their grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Then the incredible victory God accomplished in Christ would suddenly become clear to them. I have to be honest with you. This is where I rewrote my sermon. I'd been working all week, and what I had for the remainder of the service, to be honest, it felt like a bunch of Christian cliches. Hey, it's going to be okay. God's going to overcome. You may, be, you may have pain now, but it's okay. It's going to be all good later. Happy flowers, sunshine, the birds will perch on your tree, and everything will be wonderful. And the truth is, many of us live with very painful, very real liminal moments. And many of us are even now in the middle of a struggle that we just don't see any way out. And for me to flippantly say, Jesus will overcome, it's awesome, just didn't feel like I was being true to who we are as people and the situation that Jesus often calls us into. See, I love how Jesus does this. He says, you're going to grieve, but there will be joy. And he doesn't make light of it. He says, it's like, it's like a woman when she has a child. We know that babies take time. You don't just get pregnant and have a baby. There's this waiting time. Sometimes you have to wait to have a baby. You all with me on that? Okay, okay, good. I didn't want to be spoiling it for anyone. Sometimes, sometimes there is waiting, even in the painful, liminal moments. There's anticipation, but sometimes there are struggles. And usually there's at least a little bit of pain. And Jesus never makes light of that, and he never says it's not going to happen. But he promises that the pain is temporary, but the joy will be eternal. I love, I love this clip. We've showed it before. I think it was, it's been years, probably back with Pastor Jeffrey. 
But there's a clip that I kept thinking of because really what Jesus is saying, you're going to have troubles now, but hold on, persevere, keep going. You're going to make it. And I thought of this clip from Facing the Giants, and it's a beautiful scene of this coach just really encouraging his player not to give up. You can make it. Let's take a look at this clip. I love how the coach got right down with him. He says, it hurts. I know it hurts. But keep going. Keep giving your best. Don't put those knees down. It burns. I know it burns. But don't give up. You can do it. Keep going. And I feel like maybe that's what God says to us if we're listening. God, I can't handle this. Keep going. I can't do it. Persevere. You're going to make it. It's too heavy. You can do it. You're not alone. If we will just trust in God and persevere, he will be faithful. I love, look at verse 20. Tell you the truth, you'll weep and mourn over what's going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You'll grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Got to be honest, I've always read this verse a certain way, and this week I've been seeing it differently. I've always thought it's, ugh. God, I've got too much this burden. And, and God says, here, let me take that from you. Here, take some of my joy. It doesn't say that God will replace your grief with his joy. What it says is your grief will be turned or transformed into joy. See, the root of your pain will be the root of your victory. The root of the cross, this scandal, this criminal's death, it's not going to be changed. It's going to be transformed from a scandalous cross to a symbol of hope for all of humanity. It's going to be transformed. One person said, it may be significant that he does not speak of the sorrow as being replaced by joy, but of turning to joy. The very same thing, the cross would be to them first a cause of sorrow and later a source of joy. If you like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, Tolkien coined a phrase and he said, this event is a eucatastrophe. You, E-U, catastrophe. Um, it's where we get the word Eucharist, which means the great table, great Thanksgiving, good table. You means good or great. So we have this good catastrophe that happened in history. It was the epicenter of salvation. And this good catastrophe that began as grief will one day be transformed. For a short time, there will be pain. But then after that, there will be victory. There will be joy. There will be an overcoming that takes place. This is the heart of the gospel story. This is at the very center 
of everything that God is doing. And now here's the question I have. If we're part of God's story, and at the heart of God's story is this eucatastrophic joy, what does our participation look like in the story of God? It seems that we can't just say, God, make me happy and make me wealthy and make me joyful when we understand that his story is centered around pain being transformed into victory. The only way... Well, I'm wondering, this is what I've been struggling with. What if we're not called to be healed from all of our problems? What if we're not called to have all of our pain taken away? But instead, we're called to use that to help others. Um, Psychologist Carl Jung coined a phrase, wounded healer. And basically he said that there are analysts that help people over their hurt, most likely because they have experienced hurt themselves. And so they have this desire to help others with their hurt. Henry Nouwen wrote a book, Wounded Healer, highly recommend. This needs to be one of your next books that you read. Um, In it, he talks about a one-act play by Thornton Wilder. It's based on John 5, the Pool of Bethesda, you remember the story where the angel stirs the water and the first one into the water is healed. And so people would camp around this pool and as soon as the angel stirred the water, the first one in was healed of whatever was ailing them. So Thornton Wilder wrote this play called The Angel That Troubled the Water. And there's this physician that's always, always there trying to get in and the angel stirs the water and holds him back. I just want to read just a couple of lines from this play. The angel says, draw back, physician. This moment is not for you. Angelic visitor, I pray thee, listen to my prayer. Healing is not for you. Well, surely the angels are wise. Surely you're not deceived by my apparent wholeness. Your eyes can see the nets in which my wings are caught, the sin in which all my endeavors cannot be concealed from you. In such an hour as I was born, and doubly fearful for me is the flaw of my heart. Must I drag this shame all the days of my life, more bowed down than my neighbor? And the angel says, without your wounds, where would your power be? It's your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only wounded wounded soldiers can serve. Draw back. What if the one thing we want God to take away most is the very thing that God wants to use most through us. 
What if the pain that we endure can help bring a healing balm to somebody that's in pain? What if Jen's cancer can help us better minister to those that are going through the uncertainty of cancer? What if losing a child in 2005 can help us minister to people facing the same situation better than any pastoral degree on our wall can ever do? Are we willing to stay wounded for the call of Christ? Are we willing to stay in these liminal moments that sometimes are painful so that God's healing work can be done in the lives of others? Would I be brave enough to do that? Would you be brave enough to do that? The, the honest truth is the only way we can is because we know that Jesus has overcome. The only reason we can endure the pain, the hurt, the suffering, the only reason we can be agents of reconciliation is because we truly believe that Jesus has overcome. I love, I love what he says in verse, verse 33. He says, in this world you'll, you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, he's speaking of a future event that's going to happen, but he was so confident that God's word was true that the cross, the death, the resurrection, the ascension was so inevitable that he could speak with confidence in the present. It's done. The work is finished. It hasn't played out yet, but it's done. Thanks be to God, we have an overcomer. Who, who sees into the future and knows the result, the outcome. And when we do that, we live life differently. It's like, it's like the Disney example. I can endure today because I know that something down the road is going to happen. I have 100% confidence that our Disney trip will be amazing. It will be magical. It will be one of a kind. And because I know that's going to happen, I can live here with confidence and joy and peace even when I'm in the liminal moments because I know the truth of what will happen. Folks, we can endure what we are going through because we understand that Jesus not will overcome, Jesus has overcome. And because of that, we can endure. Now, we're always going to have liminal moments. And many of them are painful. I'd be dumb not to think that out of a group this size, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of you with very real hurt, very real pain. But I want to give you hope today 
Because God is in the liminal. You are not alone. God is with you. God is for you. There is hope and joy to be found in the liminal because he has overcome. It doesn't take away our pain, but it can transform where we are into something beautiful that he can use. We're going to take a moment and pray. I'm about done. You may be in a liminal moment where you say, man, life is good. God is awesome. I am, I am on cloud nine. If you want to come down and pray and thank God for this season in your life, the altars are open. No better place to thank God for what he's doing. But there are others that say, I'm in this liminal moment. I don't know about layoffs. I'm in this liminal moment. We're having problems with our kids. I'm in this liminal moment. I feel like I'm always one minute away from that first drink, which will be disastrous. We all live in these liminal moments. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you're there and you're hurting, I invite you to come down and pray. But what if instead of praying for God to take you out of the pain, could I encourage you this morning to pray, God, you've put me here for a reason. Show me how you want to use the pain that I'm in to glorify you and to help someone else. There's a girl named Jill McClary. She sings um, the song Desert Song for Hillsong. Um, I was watching her testimony a week before they were to record the video that would have Desert Song that we sang earlier. At six months into her pregnancy, they lost their child. I cannot imagine she said she was going through this grief she got the roster of who's singing what songs on the album and she saw that she was singing desert song and she said all that was in me wanted to say I can't do it I don't feel it right now I'm in a desert place and this song is too hard but instead she said but if you have brought me into this desert place, I will sing it. And I will glorify you in the desert place. Um, the same interview had Brooke Frazier who wrote the song. And she said, there was something very magical and special about singing the song with someone that you knew was going through one of the most horrific moments of her life. And yet she chose to praise 
God used her pain to shape other people's lives. So, altars are open. I, I thought we'd just, I didn't even tell you guys. Um, just put, put those words back on for me, Desert Song. I just want you to think about this. Think about these words if you want to pray. This is my prayer in the desert when all that is in me feels dry. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire, in weakness or trial or pain. There is a faith proved of more worth than gold. So refine me, Lord, through the flame. And I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare that God is my victory and he is here. Maybe you need to pray because you're going through the fire and weakness, trial, pain. Sing along with me. This is my prayer in the battle when triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. So firm on his promise I'll stand. And I will bring praise, I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice and I will declare God is my victory and he is here. So all of my life, in every season, you are still God, so I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. Would you stand with me and sing that again all of my life? All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. So I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. And I will rejoice. And I will declare. And God is my victory, and he is here. And we believe that because God wants to use the, us in every season of our life. And so we can sing, 
This is my prayer in the harvest when favor and providence flow. I know I'm filled to be emptied again. The seed I've received, I will sow. God, we love you. We thank you that you are with us in those liminal moments. Whether pain or sorrow or joy, you are there. You are here. So we give thanks because you want to transform every moment of our life into something beautiful that you can use for your kingdom. And God, because you overcame, because Jesus overcame on the cross, because of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, we too are overcomers. So God, we claim that victory today that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Thank you, God. Amen.